is All India Radio. In the weekly program Current Affairs, now we bring you a discussion on growing global support for India's fight against terrorism. The participants are Skandranjan Tail, diplomat, and Captain Alok Bansal, strategic analyst. Sudhir Ranjan Sen, journalist, initiates and moderates the discussion. China has yet again blocked India's efforts in the United Nations to designate Masood Azhar as a global terrorist. Masood Azhar is responsible for the heinous strike in Pulwama in which 40 of our soldiers died. India and Pakistan almost went to war after that. Let me start with you, Ambassador Tail, first. What does China get by doing this? China, this is not the first time China has done it. It has had similar hold on Resolution 1267's designation of Masood Azhar as a global terrorist in 2009, 2016, 2017 and now. But we have to understand that Pakistan, of course, is China's friend and China has stood by Pakistan in thick and thin. Whatever Pakistan does, it has tried to protect. Another factor which has now come into play is that with China-Pakistan Economic Corridor, China has an investment of almost 60 billion US dollars in Pakistan and there a question of the protection of Chinese investment and Chinese citizens. There are about 60,000 Chinese citizens now working in Pakistan, occupied Kashmir as well as in the rest of Pakistan and the uh, last year uh, listeners would remember there was an attack on the a Chinese consulate in Karachi. Couple of years back, a Chinese couple had been murdered and Pakistani army has always acted as a protector of the terrorists. So they would have also prevailed upon China not to earn the enmity of the Pakistani terrorists by helping in uh, designating Masood Azhar as the terrorist. So China is protecting own interests and we need to understand this. And I would say that Ministry of External Affairs has also understood because if we compare the three statements issued by the present government after similar incidents in 2016, 2017 and 2019 now just a day before yesterday the our statements this time is much milder first time 2016 we had named china 17 also there was a much bitter and critical observations without naming china but this time i think still we are trying to follow the wuhan spirit and my own comment is that our really issue is with pakistan on this terrorism issue we must keep the focus on pakistan and should not divert our attention to taking some kind of a confrontationist attitude towards China as very repeatedly Foreign Secretary has said, our previous Foreign Secretary Jayashankar, that with China we have differences but these differences should not become disputes and we must try to manage this relationship. Captain Bansal, you agree with this entire idea that the focus should be on Pakistan, let's not get carried away by China. Primarily stems from the fact that I was extremely optimistic that this time China would go along. Either it would abstain or would support. And consequently, I am extremely upset. When 13 members of the Security Council resolution and the 14th member supports it and one member opposes it, there is something drastically wrong. And I personally feel that time has come for India to make China know that we are extremely unhappy about it. Because when I deal with Chinese delegations coming from PRC, very often I find that they are not aware of the sensitivities of India on this particular issue. They don't understand how, what is the significance of Masood Azhar. Firstly, we must understand that Masood Azhar was a terrorist who was languishing in Indian jails. 
and was released by hijacking an Indian plane. And that hijacking was not a peaceful hijacking. There were lives that were lost in that particular hijacking. So, you need any evidence as far as that man's terror credentials are concerned? Not to my mind. So, why is China doing that? And that, I think, that we are unhappy about it. I think a time has come when we should let China know that we are unhappy about it. There are, of course, other issues. Chinese authorities or Chinese leadership, I often feel, do not understand religion or religious extremism that well because seven decades of having followed an atheist ideology they are still not very clear about how religion can motivate people to do such dastardly acts and as a result you find very often that Chinese reactions to religion is very knee-jerk Falun Gong or you saw what happened in Xinjiang where they forced people to shave off beards forced fed people during Which is kind of odd because the Xinjiang is a major problem for them so that's what I'm saying their understanding of religion itself is a problem and that's why 1.5 million people are being interned into a re-education camp. All these things, whatever is happening, now just because CPAC passes through Pakistan, if China opposes this, there is a problem. To my mind, why he has gone about it is because probably they do not wish to antagonize Pakistan at this point of time because CPAC is going through a critical phase. Please understand if you read the figures that have just been released for FDI in first eight months in Pakistan of this current financial year. And Pakistan's financial year, as you know, starts in July. So from July to February of this year, the FDI from China has shrank 60%. And that primarily shows that CPAC investments are not coming up. They were coming last year. Because there are apprehensions as far as Chinese companies are concerned whether CPAC is now viable or not. Four days back, or I think three days back, the Chinese mission in Pakistan issued an advisory because five days back a Chinese man was attacked. The Chinese people should exercise caution. Chinese today in Pakistan are valid targets. Any organization, any group that is opposing the Pakistani government. Please understand Taliban have attacked Chinese, Baloch have attacked Chinese, Sindhis are attacking Chinese. So Chinese have valid problems. And to my mind Xi Jinping feels BRI as his personal initiative. He's trying to consolidate power like Mao, Maoist type of consolidation of power. And there are people within the Politburo who are unhappy about it. Now, if the BRI fails, people will point fingers at him. So, BRI, he has a personal stake. So, to make BRI successful, he has invested on CPAC. But we must make it very categorical. This is unacceptable. And I think uh, if we don't let China know that we are unhappy about it, it will keep happening. So I think before the six months time duration enters, because technical hold, this first technical hold actually delays it by six months. Then six months down the line again, this will come up. So within six months, we must ensure that China knows that we are extremely unhappy about it. One thing for the benefit of our listeners, the entire world community has condemned in fact, United States has come up and said that, you know, if one member is blocking these efforts of, a known, of designating somebody who's known to be a terrorist, then we must think of other options. China, at the face of everything, at the face of getting condemned by the United Nations, France has already, we have seen, reacted, we are seeing reactions from Washington. Why is China risking so much? Explained by Captain Bansal, China has invested so much, is investing so much in Pakistan, strategic reasons, economic reasons, BRI reasons, and the entire fulcrum of their BRI, the main component is China-Pakistan economic corridor. That is one part. And the other is, of course, they want to keep India confined to South Asia. 
they do not want that india should become so powerful that it confronts china or even as a competitor and the entire uh, the economic growth which is going on the way our army and our navy is growing our strategic forces are also very important and in the world our prestige is growing china wants that we should remain embroiled in our conflict with pakistan and the dehyphenation which we had achieved with great difficulty earlier it was all india pakistan india pakistan india pakistan but in the last about 8 10 years now the comparison of india has been with china and china does not like it it will like us that our entire diplomatic efforts are again focused on pakistan that is why i will say a word of caution that how much we capital diplomatic energy we should spend on this issue of masood azhar because in the ultimate analysis even if masood azhar gets listed as a global terrorist under UNSC resolution 1267 not much is going to happen hafiz said has been there for 10 years he was put in jail for a few years and then the pakistani courts released him now jamaat ud dawa is still there breaching hatred and everything so we have to be very careful how we spend our diplomatic energy i think we should now focus more on financial action task force where china cannot veto because the decisions are by consensus and Pakistan is on the verge of bankruptcy that will hurt them more masood azhar's listing in the ultimate analysis if you really look at it cold blooded way it brings lot of a bad name to pakistan that they are harboring a terrorist but it does not hurt them but if pakistan is moved from the gray list of financial action task force to the black list it will hurt them because it will restrict the financing from global institutions like IMF World Bank Asian Development Bank etc we should be very judicious in using our diplomatic energy because i will again say our focus should be on punishing pakistan but it is very very clear that people of india are unhappy and i would say that people of india have their full right to express democratically their displeasure this china's action and this can be in the form of boycott of chinese goods there can be many other forms and i think the people of india should stand behind the government of india and strengthen government of india's hands by expressing this displeasure leaving it not only to the government of india drilling down or moving little ahead from this entire thing as ambassador was saying that let's not only focus on china let's look at pakistan we had had the kartarpur talks yesterday and now from what we understand that what was promised by prime minister imran khan was not what was delivered by in the official talks because we've seen pakistan saying instead of 5000 devotees crossing over to the kartarpur sahib every day they have said 500 they've also said that it's not open for all 7 days you need a permit and so on and so forth kind of what i was given to understand is that there was a huge disappointment in on people who went to talk there and and sort this out why is again pakistan doing this Pakistan's offer of Kartarpur was actually trying to score a political point. Pakistan realized that probably India would not accept it at that point of time because Pakistan's aim is that certain number of people come whose ISI can indoctrinate, use, they could infiltrate and use that for uh, sending across their propaganda or things like that. But when government of India did accept it and we wanted a larger number then they had a problem because when it's a smaller group it's easier to confine them do all sorts of indoctrination and things like that they could select they could segregate all sorts of things so i think pakistan is doing that as far as pakistan is concerned pakistan's aims and objectives are that they see themselves 
the very pakistani nationalism by and large as the army perceives in pakistan is premised on anti indianism as far as they are concerned they want to score points i think this negotiations will go on but kartarpur corridor could be a security risk because people could be infiltrated and now what is pakistan doing pakistan is trying to get the pro khalistani elements from west in fact today's newspaper has this only that india the pakistani newspaper when you look at the, the headlines are saying that india scared of khalistanis activists and things like that so that is how pakistan is as regards pakistan as a state is concerned it has its problems please understand when pakistan is under pressure it is a good boy when it comes out of the woods it's a problem please understand pulwama attack happened after pakistan started feeling that the economic crisis that they were tackling is over because what had happened just a few days before pulwama if you look at one month before pulwama pakistan's economy which looked to be in severe crisis started turning around and what did it happen because donald trump on one fine day decided that they needed to talk to taliban the moment they said we would talk to taliban pakistan realized that they had again become the center of the universe they thought without them they could not do that and what happened the imf immediately toned down its conditionalities the saudi arabia gave them 4.6 billion dollars of oil credit deferred credit payment 3 billion dollars cash reserves uae gave them cash so pakistan thought now things are all hunky dory and that's when you saw pulwama but again after pulwama the strings are getting tightened now us actually stopped them the oil deferred oil payment today uh, imf has now again tightening the noose and if imf tightens the noose pakistan is in serious crisis because foreign exchange reserves are critical uh, they have about 14.8 billion dollars of foreign exchange reserves as indicated last week out of which only 8.6 or 7 are with state bank of pakistan <coughs> until june they are uh, required to make lot of payments so there are issues pakistan can be squeezed in i have no doubts about it and the way government of india is going about as far as pakistan policy is concerned i am extremely happy with it i think the approach that the government of india has chosen is probably the right ambassador there is a point of view but i'll throw this question again to you making such a huge promise as in Uh, you know we are opening up kartarpur but it's india that has been since 74 saying that you need to include this in the protocol whereby we exchange the list of the religious places that people uh, can go and visit kartarpur india has always been saying that kartarpur needs to be on that list all of a sudden we see imran khan saying we are going to open it up making a grand gesture and when it comes to delivering they seem to be going quite the other way what is pakistan playing certainly this offer by pakistan which came on imran khan's inauguration that the corridor will be open satisfies a very long standing demand of not only the sikhs of india but all the government of india i think the first time 1999 also when prime minister atal bihari vajpayee had gone there this was discussed that this could be another step to normalize the relations but i'm afraid the intentions of pakistani establishment are not honest and there are two indicators of that one when in the prime minister imran khan's inauguration this information was conveyed to the indian side it was conveyed by general bajwa army chief not by their foreign minister or any civilian leader and number two that around that time and in the entire process there were some canadian sikhs who are very active in the khalistani movement who have been advising the pakistani government so pakistani government's intention seems to be to 
create a kind of a atmosphere in which they ingratiate themselves to the those elements whether in india or in canada etc who are for khalistan and that's why they want to restrict the numbers because when our jathas go for pilgrimage there last year there was a very big incident when they did not allow our high commission people to meet the jatha and they were being escorted only by these canadian six and some elements who are very hostile to india so all this background we have to be very cautious and uh, i am totally agree with uh, captain mansal that there is a security element and we have to be very careful and make sure that the religious sentiments of our people of any faith who believe in the message of peace and brotherhood of uh, shri gurunanak dev ji are allowed to go and this corridor happens but at not at the cost of uh, security of india because there are many other elements they are putting that only the indian nationals Can who are uh, indian passport holders should go now so many sikhs are there all over the world at least allow the overseas citizen of india card holders to travel on this corridor so pakistan entire game plan is also to motivate and to get sick people who are settled abroad to travel through pakistan and then brainwash them indoctrinate them and use them for their own purposes we have to be very watchful and the other thing that you know comes out of this is this whole entire kartarpur dialogue there is certain element of divisiveness that we see from pakistan saying that you know only sikhs can go because whereas it going to a gurdwara I mean, praying in the gurdwara is not only limited to the sikhs people from all other religions go see this they had insisted but i understand that this demand has been dropped but please understand the whole creation of pakistan is premised on this ideology of separate nations different nations so from their point of view see please understand secularism of india is actually the biggest problem for pakistan so they try to divide indians amongst religions and that's one of the issues they like to look at indians from the religious prism they very often they believe that indian muslims are being persecuted that's the perception so that's how the whole game plan of isi if you look at is the thousand cuts to bleed india to divide india to balkanize india that's been the aim so that is the avowed objective of the security establishment of pakistan and as you know as far as policies with india are concerned imran khan or his government is incapable of taking any decisions these crucial decisions will always be taken by ghq that's why we saw general bajwa delivering the thing not imran khan because imran khan couldn't have because if army would have said there is no way that imran khan could have done it bajwa delivered it and now it is army's decision how they allow they want their objectives to be met it is not a peace gesture that they were making it this was actually a tactical move that they were doing it and they were doing it ambassador in a global scenario the way india is moving to isolate pakistan it's gone its relationship with the gulf countries has really gone up in the last few <clears throat> years specifically in the last four four and a half years what next does india need to do when it's handling pakistan you know pakistan has been there and uh, it has been inimical to india's interests in different ways it has tried to harm india pakistani army takes an oath that they want to avenge their crushing defeat in bangladesh when bangladesh was created in 1971 now pakistani pushing terrorism is something which is not liked by its friends and 
that gives us an opening. Now, why did the Organization of Islamic Conference invite our foreign minister to be the guest of honor? In UAE, that is like a breach in the enemy citadel because Pakistan had always used OIC as a hammer to hit at India. So, there is an opening. India is being seen both as an economic opportunity and a country where people of all faiths have full freedom to practice their religion and grow economically, prosper, do well in life. That is appreciated by the other countries. And But it is a long process. We have to continue doing that. We had invited the UAE Crown Prince on 26 January as our chief guest. Crown Prince of uh, Saudi Arabia was here just last month. So, Iran, we have excellent relations. With Egypt, we have excellent relations. We are well on course in isolating Pakistan in international community and also so doubts and questions in the minds of its closest friends, which have been United States, Saudi Arabia, UAE, etc. China still remains a steadfast friend of Pakistan, acting against interests of India, but China is playing its own game and it wants to contain India and we'll have to treat China differently and the countries of the Islamic world differently. So there's among observers um, who watch international affairs very keenly, there's some sense, sense of unease and specifically with the United States, although we have seen very encouraging statements from President Trump on Pakistan. At one point of time, we saw military aid being cut. Now that there is an entire discussion about withdrawing from Afghanistan, and the withdrawal route will most likely be through Pakistan. Does that allow Pakistan another hole to get away? I just first like to go back to the point of isolation of Pakistan, and we need to understand. I think the two countries that Pakistan has been banking on of late is China and Turkey. And Prime Minister spoke to Turkish President just a few days before the vote, which was very, very significant, actually. That's probably trying to isolate Pakistan further. As far as China is concerned, we have also erred to some extent. While we have engaged the Chinese leadership, we have not made an effort to educate the Chinese masses. Having visited China a number of times, their ignorance about this region is phenomenal, actually. They hardly know anything. And this particular factor of how this radicalization, how people like Masood Azhar could be Frankenstein's monster, needs to be drilled into the people's mind. Because even though it's a communist state, the people's perception does make a difference sometimes. I think we need to do that and I think we should be consistently at it. I am sure we would be able to achieve some objectives because even in China there are certain concerns as far as this jihadi terrorism is concerned. That's why I find it very, very disconcerting that China voted against it. And I think that's one of the reasons why I feel that we must give a categorical signal, that we are very unpleased about it. Because I think the Chinese do not understand our sensitivities on this particular issue. Now, the second issue as far as U.S. is concerned, I have serious issues with U.S. because... President Trump does not have any consistent policies. One fine day he decided that he is going to talk to Taliban. And before that he had made a statement that we will remain in Afghanistan till the military commanders tell us how many people will remain deployed as military commander's decision, what is going to... And then of course he sacks his NSA, decides that he'll pull back. And the moment he started pulling back, Pakistan again started emerging as an important thing. As far as pullout is concerned, please remember the troops now in Pakistan are not so much as they were in the heydays. And today the troops are primarily in support role. The increase in number which took place in between was again not through Pakistan. It was by and large by aerial route. 
the troops are in supportive route. It's not a very big issue how they are going to pull out because it's unlike the previous time when they had large equipment to be brought out, it was not an issue which is going to happen, this particular issue. But dependence on Pakistan is there because US would want to pull out after at least getting the so-called fig leaf, saying they have talked to Taliban and they would like to tell to their domestic <coughs> audience that we have achieved the objective which we had set out to. Now for talking to Taliban, unfortunately they are dependent on Pakistan. What happened? Number two man of Mullah Omar, Mullah Biradar, who was actually in jail was released and now he is heading the Qatar office. So the whole talks with Taliban is being controlled by Pakistan and Pakistan has never allowed anybody independently to approach Taliban. Please understand that's one of the leverage that they have maintained. So that is one issue which we have to look at it. To my mind talking to Taliban is never a good idea. Respective of what US does with Taliban will never provide them lasting peace because their overall objectives are very closely aligned with that of Al-Qaeda. And there is actually a symbiotic relationship between them which cannot be broken or snapped. So that we have to look at. In fact, moving forward to another part of the subcontinent, we have the Indian Army and the Myanmar's Army in a coordinated operation taking on rebels uh, who were threatening the Kaladan project. What we have been told is uh, it was a coordinated operation with the Myanmar's operating on their side. We are operating on our side. There was a huge amount of coordination, both at the diplomatic and at the military level. Captain Bansal, first question, your A, first, your initial reactions, and two, the Karadan project, so to say, is going to bring in a lot of prosperity to these areas. Why do we have these rebels kind of coming and targeting it or trying to disrupt it? Firstly, as far as coordinated operations are concerned, we have been doing coordinated operations with Tatmada of the Myanmar's army for some time now. In fact, we destroyed NSC and Kaplang camps in a coordinated operations. We did this again. In a coordinated operations, the two armies share information, operate in conjunction in such a way that the borders become immaterial actually. I am not trying to say that we cross into their border. We operate simultaneously. They could come into our probably territory somewhere. We could go into their territory and that's what has happened. Please remember, Arakan army had attacked Tatmadaw's camps just a few months back. Arakan army operates in Rakhine state which is also infested with Rohingyas and Rohingya camps have now been infiltrated by jihadi terrorists. So there is actually a hodgepodge of terrorist groups in Rakhine state and that area. So probably we needed to operate in conjunction. That's what we have done because they must have come to Chin state or something where we have operated because Rakhine state does not share a boundary with India. So obviously they must have been operating somewhere close to us. As far as developmental projects are concerned, please understand most of these organizations are xenophobic. And what happens is when a developmental project takes place, what they believe is that it brings in outsiders. It also brings in new ideas. So very often tribal societies believe that if you carry out a developmental project, you will turn them into a minority. Just to give you an example, Gwadar project in Baluchistan and Ataullah Mengal had given a very interesting proposition. Musharraf said we want to build Gwadar into another Karachi. Even if you build Gwadar to the half the population of Karachi, we would be a permanent minority in our own province. So that's a fail. They feel that the developmental project will bring in outsiders, also get in new ideas which will affect their way of life, their culture, their tribal culture and all those things. And that's why invariably you will find in most places these developmental projects are attacked. Another facet to this is that they believe that these developmental projects are being used as sops to win the loyalty of the local population, which they don't want to go to the other side. Another reason why they are attacked. 
Ambassador, is there a possibility that all of a sudden, I mean, this is what people have been asking, why does project like the Kaladan project all of a sudden see resistance from rebels? Is there, can we therefore think that it's not as easy as it looks and there's something more than meets the eye? It is possible. Of course, there is a sort of a generic attack on developmental projects that whatever, <coughs> whether it's a school, whether it's a road and the road like in our Maoist infested areas also, we have seen that even road projects are being attacked. But there could be some sinister design of an outside power. We have to be very watchful and security agencies, Myanmar security agencies, I am sure, will keep a close watch. But uh, apparently, this moment, perhaps that conclusion need not be drawn. And what about the cooperation that we are developing with Myanmar? It's slowly going up. It is slowly going up. It has been a long process. And But there is an element of trust. You see, at one point of time, we were packing democratic forces, etc. So the Myanmar's army was very unhappy with us. But those times are gone. Now Aung San Suu Kyi's government is there. And army has a control over their foreign policy, defense policy. Even in parliament, the 25% are army armed forces nominees. But we are in a position where our army has very good relations with the Myanmar's army and the political establishment has very good relations with Aung San Suu Kyi and our entire establishment. So this is a very good time for any kind of coordinated action if we want to take against insurgent groups which are harming both Myanmar and India. Last question, Captain Bansal. This entire activist policy that we are seeing and Kaladan project is one part of that project, you know, entire big idea that is there. Does it also at some level kind of threaten the big Belt and Road Initiative? Not really. In fact, as far as our activist policy is concerned, Kaladan project is one of the major pillars. We are actually running behind schedule. But our main thrust to east will actually go through Imphal, More, uh, Jeribam, and then go to Tamu and then. And that's the main thrust from where the trade is actually taking place. You need to visit Tamu to see how much of transformation is taking place. And I think uh, with this integrated check post having come in, if we start having flights from Imphal to Bodh Gaya or places like that, you will see a large number of tourists from Upper Burma will start moving into Manipur and come there, provided we have a visa facilitation center. Kaladan project, to my mind, is still some way off. And it is not a very easy way. It will be a more uh, route for trade and goods. Because Kaladan, the way it is conceived is for taking goods even from mainland India to northeast, taking them through Sitwe port and taking that up. It will be a cost-effective way of moving bulk cargo. That could be the thing, but it will take some time still. Thank you so much. You were listening to a discussion on growing global support for India's fight against terrorism. The participants were Skand Ranjan Tayal, diplomat, and Captain Alok Bansal, strategic analyst. Sudhir Ranjan Sain, journalist, initiated and moderated the discussion. The program was produced and presented by the News Services Division of All India Radio. You can also listen to this program on our website, newsonair.nic.in. You may email your opinion about this program at airnsgtalks at gmail.com.